have all kinds of stuff we're going to talk about, but, but I want to begin with just a time of praying, a time of prayer. I, I believe that the message that we are about to engage in has a great capacity to open up God's blessing in our lives as we decrease and as we open up our hearts. And whenever that happens, I am pretty sure that the enemy is not cool with that and that there's going to be distraction and harassment and your mind's going to be all over the place. So what we're going to do is begin by just praying that our hearts would be settled, that our minds would be open, that we would be able to be prepared to allow God to do whatever he's going to do. So would you all just pray along with me, just getting our hearts right? Yeah, we've been soaking in worship. Now it's time to soak a little bit in prayer. Let's go ahead and pray together. Heavenly Father, there are some of us that are having a really, really hard time listening. Because God, whether or not it's distraction or whether or not it's heartache, whether or not it is confusion or doubt or fear, I pray that right now as we sit at your feet, everything else would melt away. That Lord, that in this place, that we as a family, not only Bridgeway represented here physically, but all those that are with us online, all those that are with us audibly, that God, that for this, this sermon, this time, this message, that this time where you download, where you begin to say, these are the things that I want my children to do, that for this time, that God, that we would have ears to hear, that we would have hearts that are open, that we would be able to receive from our God, and that we would be not just receptive, but responsive. And that, Lord, that we would say, yes, God, have your way in our lives. Lord, it touches on different sensitivities and it pushes buttons. And I just pray that each and every time the button is pushed, it unlocks, Father, another segment for you to open up into in our lives. God, would you do all that our own human nature does not want to do? And that is draw us near you to build the kingdom of God. May your agenda be first. May your heart be seen clearly. And may you be worshipped. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We are in part nine of our series through the book of Ezra, and I called it the Purpose Reclamation Project. And the message today is called Better Together, and it really ties in two key pieces, the passion for justice and holiness and unity, unity of the body of Christ. Those two things tend to be in tension together, and I want to talk about how they need to work together, but I'm going to draw your attention to the fill in the blank that was on your sheet, handed to you at the front door. You want to grab that out? I'm just going to say a couple words and we'll get to that fill in the blank. Here's the bottom line. In our story, Ezra is a priest. He's about to go do something extraordinary, but he can't do it alone. He is supposed to go in and encourage a people group that have been wiped out for decades discouraged, frustrated from doing hard work for the kingdom of God. He's supposed to go in and bring reinforcements. He's the cavalry. He's the one that's trying to say, hey, guys, I know you're tired. I brought all these buddies with me, and we're going to help you do this work. We're going to try to draw your attention back to the great things of God. But if he comes walking in alone, that's not going to work. 
Why? Because of the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. It's this. Some things must be done together. Some things must be done together. I believe that the calling upon our church, the calling upon my life and yours, is too significant for you and I to do alone. For example, I'm going to talk a little bit later about the power and calling of our church to reach the region. I'm going to show my cards early. I am not going to be okay until every person in the greater Sacramento region has someone to love on them, has someone to share the gospel with them, has someone to listen to them deeply. And there is no way Bridgeway is going to do that on their own. It doesn't matter how hard we work. It doesn't matter how long we work. We do not have enough ears to listen that much. We do not have the ability to have the time to listen that deeply. We cannot reach all of those people. So where are they going to be reached? They're going to be reached, I hope, by all the amazing churches that are in our region. We want all of those churches filled that people might be loved on and cared for. Yeah. It's not going to just be us. The calling's too big. The job is too difficult. There are some things we must do together, but I'm also going to be very honest with you. Doing things alone is way easier. Doing things alone is super easy. It's just not right. Personally, and I'll get into this a little bit more later, all of the significant heartaches I've ever had in my life are due to partnerships in ministry. Anything that has ever broken my heart, made me want to quit, or made me want to walk away from the ministry had to do with Christian partnerships. Are they difficult? Yes. Are they necessary? Yes. So I'm not asking you to do anything that I'm not willing to do. I'm fighting through it all the time. But I want to talk to you about what it means to be passionate for the Lord and passionate for justice and holiness while at the same time being a team player. Tough tension. So we begin by talking a little bit about Ezra. Uh, This guy we've been reading about who's being called by God to do this incredible thing. He is a priest. He's part of the Levitical people, meaning they descended from Levi because Levi was a man. I don't know if you remember that, but Levi was an actual guy and his family line became the Levite people. One family in that huge family tree gets to be priests. Everybody else are Levites. They're temple workers. And I don't know what you think of when you think of Levites and priests. I don't know what you think of when you think of clergy. Most people are not sure that I'm part of the clergy. Most people that meet me, they go, you're not a pastor. And I go, no, really, I am. And then they hear me speak and they go, no, you're not. <laughs> right? Like, I don't, I don't know what you are, but you're not one of those. Okay? So I don't know what they're picturing. I'm not sure what you're picturing when you think of the ancient priesthood. Maybe you're thinking of these little, little calm guys that have their hands in their sleeves and just kind of walk around very pious. And, and maybe you're thinking of the Levite temple workers and they're all gentle, kind of Mr. Rogers type people, right? And hey, can I help you learn about God? You know, that kind of thing. I'm not sure what you think of, but I'm about to blow that entire stereotype out of the water. I want to share with you what the Levites are really like. 
and what the priests are really like. So let's go back to the beginning. Levi's the first one. Yeah, they all came from him. What was he like? Y'all remember that Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, he had 12 boys, right? We are most familiar with Joseph because he was kind of a big deal. We all know his story. But the third boy in the line is Levi. He's a tough kid. First time we ever find out about him, he was part of the crew that was selling his brother into slavery. Not awesome, right? Bad start. Then later on, he was close with his brother, Simeon. They were kind of buddies. Their sister was raped. One thing that you will learn about Levites and priests in ancient Israel is they are ferocious for holiness and justice. Real quick show of hands. How many of you are justice folks? You go ballistic when anything's not fair. Raise your hand. All right, yeah, okay, so you would be our Levites, all right? Let me tell you what they did. Their sister, Dinah, was violated by a man who then wanted to marry her. The brother said, oh, that's interesting. If you're going to marry into us, you see we're Jews. I don't know if you knew that, but it'd be really important. If you want to be accepted by our family, all the men in your city need to be circumcised. They didn't. While they were wounded in healing, they went in and slaughtered the entire city. Their sense of justice, you touch our sister, we'll kill everyone. That's how it works. That's a Levite. So the Levites then, as they continued on, you find out, you know who else are Levites? Moses and Aaron. Did Moses have an anger problem? Yeah, he sure did. How did he handle justice? If you remember, he was raised up in the Egyptian household and found out as an adult that he's actually a Hebrew. He looks out and the whole slave population is Hebrew. One day he goes out to take a look and sees an Egyptian who is his people beating up one of his people, the Hebrews. What does he do? Kills him. Tries to hide the body. Nope. They find out about it. Even his own people don't want him as their leader. They're like, man, you're a hothead. Something's wrong with you. And he gets chased out of town. 40 years later, God comes and gets him back and says, boy, it's time to go. Boy, I'm 80 years old. I don't want to go anymore. Well, I don't remember asking you. I remember telling you, you're going to be my deliverer. You need to get up and go. Well, I can't talk right. You're a wimp. Go ahead and use your brother Aaron. He can be your mouthpiece. Stop using excuses and get in and get the job done. Moses becomes the leader of Israel. Y'all remember this? And as they move out of, of Egypt in the Exodus, they stop at a big mountain called Mount Sinai. It's there that God begins to lay down the framework for the nation of Israel. He calls Moses up onto the mountain And up there on the mountain, God says, you and your brother are going to lead Israel. You're going to lead them into the promised land. You will be the political figure. You're going to be the prophet. You're going to be the power man. You're going to be the miracle guy. You're going to be the hardcore leader. Your brother Aaron will be the high priest. Israel would always supposed to have a political leader and a religious leader. We learned in Ezra's story, it was Zerubbabel was a political leader. Yeshua was a high priest. It's how it worked. Moses, Aaron. Meanwhile, while he's receiving that information, where's Aaron? 
down below being a total bonehead. Aaron is down below with all the people making a golden calf. Y'all remember the golden calf incident? So they make a golden calf while God in fire and smoke is talking to Moses up on the mountain. They're down below dancing around being complete pagans, worshiping a total other God because they think that Moses is dead and gone. Moses comes down the hill. How does he feel about it? Once again, we see the temper issue. He freaks out, shatters the Ten Commandments, grinds up the golden calf, makes them all drink it, and says, someone's got to pay for this. Who's on my side? Out of all the people of Israel, right here, right now, are you on God's side or are you on your own side? Who's with me? All the Levites rise up. Why? That's his family. They all come up next to him. He said, boys, strap on your sword and go out and start killing everyone. They all rage out and they're slaughtering 3,000 by the time it gets shut down. These are the Levites. Justice, bloodshed, warfare. That's the Levites. Is it any wonder that while they also had the job of carrying the temple and the tabernacle instruments, while they carried the curtains and the, the, the pillars and the base plates, while they were the ones supporting the priests, you know what else their job was? They were security team for the temple. They were bodyguards for the priests. Why? Because they kill everyone. That's why. So you got this fiery crew, right? And they're the ones that are supposed to be watching over God's stuff. It's such a bizarre turn of events that you would have the most violent group. They're the ones that are closest to God. That's odd, right? Not at all what you expect. And sometimes it didn't go well. There was a Levite by the name of Korah. He hated the injustice that... His family line were the carrier grunt workers. Yet Aaron's line got to be the ones that talked to God. He didn't like the idea that they would have one calling and he had another. It irritated him. It violated his pride. It violated his sense of justice. He was thinking, no, 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 this doesn't work. We're all family. We're all equal. You know what, Moses and Aaron? You are not special. Any of us can do this. You've been keeping us down. It's totally unfair. Moses said, it wasn't my idea, buddy. I never came up with it. Oh, really? Well, I think it was your idea. Moses said, well, let's ask God. You got 250 of you guys. It's me and Aaron against you guys. Let's go to God. Here's what we'll do. You think you can be a priest? All right. Here's how priests handle it. We put incense into a little cylinder cup and we offer it before God. Why? That's our act of worship. It's an idea of kind of like the the worship and song as the smoke rises up before God. So here's what you do. You guys all grab your censers. We'll grab ours. We'll offer it before God and see what he says. Y'all remember the story? Here's how it goes. All 250 lined up before God, offered their fire, and fire from God raged out and burned them all alive. Then God said, hey, the instigators of that rebellion, you guys might want to scoot away from their tents. The ground opens up, swallows up, and kills all their families. Levites. Hmm. Rather ferocious. Yes? Well, they're not done. Here we go. Aaron's grandson. Aaron's grandson's name is Phineas. Phineas 
is sitting around kind of in the background while his dad takes over for Aaron as the high priest. He's sitting back watching Moses and Aaron and his dad, and they're weeping over the sin of Israel. And God was so disappointed in them. They're all crying at the entrance to the tabernacle. And some guy, some Israelite, they were all in trouble because they had been having sexual relations with the the local women that were teaching them to worship in another way. Everyone's all upset. Some guy grabs one of the women from the other nation and they walk in front of all the leadership, go into a tent to do it again. The whole time Phineas is looking around. Now you got to remember, he's a Levite. He grew up in a very, very ferocious household. And he's looking around going, who's going to do something? Somebody's going to do something. All right, I'm going to do something. Grabs a spear, walks into the tent, and drives it through both of them into the ground. Kills them both. Only then did God allow the plague to stop. All right. So I'm not sure what you thought about Levites and priests and clergy. Be careful. We're a dangerous breed. (laughs) This is who Ezra's family is. What it's going to explain is that Ezra is hardcore. They have this huge sense of it's God's way or you die. They have this huge sense of holiness and justice and black and white and right and wrong. The problem, they're not allowed to operate alone. They're part of a family. And even though they don't play well with others, if they're ever going to do God's work, they have to. And what you're going to find is that Ezra realizes he's smart enough to know it's a lot easier to do it alone It's just not wise. And that's where we pick up the story. Would you, if you would like to follow along, I'm going to be paraphrasing a lot. You don't have to read along with me. Some of you get really lost if not. And that would be Ezra chapter eight, verse one. But because I'm going to be paraphrasing so much, I would just encourage you to listen, to listen. It's not very many verses. I'm going to be skipping through a lot. I'm just going to be making some points. So you can feel free to listen. But if you do want to follow along, it's page 394. Here's where we begin. Ezra, of course, is talking about their big trip to go help out. He said, these are the heads of their father's houses. And this is the genealogy of 18 of the leaders who went with me from Babylonia in the reign of Artaxerxes I, the king. He said, let me explain who they are. Of the sons of Phinehas, y'all remember him, we just talked about him. In his family line, we got Gershom and Daniel and Hattush and Zechariah, with whom were registered 150 men. Elahonai, and with him were 200 men. Shechaniah brought with him 300 men. Ebed brought 50 men. Jeshiah, and with him 70 men. Zebediah brought 80 men. Obadiah brought 218 men. Shelemith, and with him 160 men. Zechariah with him, 28 men, Johanan, 110 men. And those who came later, their names being Eliphet, Jewel, and Shemaiah, and with them, 60 men. Uthai and Zakur came with 70 men. Why does this matter? Who are these guys? I'll tell you, I don't know anything about any of them other than their leaders. 
Why are they leaders? Because people went with them. This is the intriguing part. If you get a leader, you get a crew. Ezra's smart enough to know that if he grabs the influential ones, if he grabs the influencers, then he's going to get a whole team that comes along with him. You ever heard the phrase, everything rises and falls on leadership? It's absolutely true in any organization. Let me give you an example on how it works around here. We are a family, therefore we are what I would deem an organism. However, we also have to run with organizational infrastructure, right? I mean, it just makes sense. Anytime that you're dealing with money or dealing with large amounts of people or you're dealing with organization, you have to have that together, right? All right. I get asked all the time by people coming in and visiting Bridgeway, hey, do you have such and such of a ministry? Fair question. You know, and it's usually something a little bit more niche, right? Hey, do you have a biker nuns group? Something like that. (laughs) And my response is usually, no, we do not. And so what they will do is they'll say, oh, so that's not really a passion for Bridgeway. And I go, no, 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 it's important and it's a passion I don't have the leadership to run it because everything rises and falls on leadership. You got great leaders. The ministry will thrive. You don't have great leaders. The ministry falls apart. You don't want to start a ministry only to have it fall apart because that just discourages everyone. You have to have a leader that knows how to be a leader because there are leaders that they didn't ask to be leaders. People just follow them. I call them reluctant leaders. We're going to talk about them in a moment, but then there's people that just want to be bossy. Y'all understand what I'm talking about? They're in charge, not because they love people. They're in charge because they want to tell everyone what to do. To me, that's not a leader. Yeah, technically, if people are following you, you're a leader. I just don't think they're a good leader. There's a big difference between a leader, even a great leader, and a Christian leader. Why? Because great leaders have an agenda Christian leaders get their agenda from the Lord. You are not here to build your own kingdom. You're here to build his. So you don't get to do everything you want to do. You do what he wants you to do. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that he wants to put on your agenda. You would never put on that agenda. You don't like it. You don't want to fight through it. And one of those things is partnership. Hmm. I would suggest to you that every one of us are leaders in this room. Every one of us are leaders that can hear my voice. Why? Because you influence somewhere. You may be a reluctant leader. You may be a leader that doesn't want to be a leader, but you're a leader. Anywhere you have influence, if someone is following you, you're a leader. If you're influencing someone, you're a leader. It may be your group at school. It may be your crew at work. It may be your spouse. It may be your household. You're influencing someone. I need you to be a good leader got to take it seriously and you have to do it because you love them. There are so many people in Christian ministry that are leaders, not leading out of love. They're leading out of dominance. Big difference. Please lead because you love people. Anyone you lead should be better off because they're under your leadership. Not because you're doing it right, which is your way, right? Not because of that but because you have empowered them. You have encouraged them. They feel stronger because you're leading. They shouldn't have to reluctantly follow you. 
They should want to follow you because you're for them. Right? That's what I think good Christian leadership is all about. So what happens when you have a call of God? What happens when you're passionate about it? What happens when no one else seems to see it your way? And you want to do it all by yourself so no one will constantly make it wrong. And God calls you to partner. Hmm. Well, I actually saw a lot of this come into my life. I've told you this story before. I want to recap because I believe that it's atmosphere designing. About four and a half years ago, I sat across the table from Pastor Francis Enfuso of The Rock. He asked me, Lance, do you have a heart and a passion for this region that everybody would rise up, the next generation would rise up, that we would have a move of God. Do you have a passion to partner with everyone else that we might see God's move hit our region? I said, no. Why? Because I didn't. Don't ask me a question if you don't want to know the answer. I didn't have a passion for that. Why? I had my plate full. I had enough to do. I'm trying to run a church. I'm trying to focus on getting Bridgeway healthy. I had a million things that were wrong with Bridgeway. Why do I want to start looking at what's wrong with the region? And I was thinking to myself, I can't even keep up with what I have. Why would I have a passion to try to help everybody else get done if I can't even do my own stuff? And then God lit a fire. And he changed my heart. And I knew it. Because I have felt that fire before. 20 years ago, I came and I guest spoke at a little tiny church. And after a couple of weeks, my wife said, do you think that you should be the pastor? And I said, no. <laughs> and then God lit a fire. I know that fire. It's all consuming. For the last four and a half years, I've been absolutely obsessed with the idea that if anything significant is going to happen in our lifetime, in our region, it's not going to happen just because we try really hard. It's going to be because of partnerships. And so I have been building and building and building relationships, getting over things, getting together with people I didn't initially like. You have to understand partnership is hard. It's difficult. It's messy. And you always want to quit. You just can't. Give you an example on how important this is. We would not have the blessing of our pastor and bishop, Parnell Lovelace, without it. Because God put the same fire in him and he was willing to take the hits to partner with me. I was willing to take the hits to make sure to build a relationship that I didn't have time to build. But I knew when I looked him in the eye, I knew I had to be with him. I knew he had to be with me. I knew we were better together. It was not going to be easy, but it became necessary. And sure enough, you've seen the fruitfulness of that. But understand, we are doing that all around the region with different people. We are both part of City Pastors Fellowship where over 300 pastors get together every quarter. We pray together. We worship together. We hear a message together. That's it. Do we all agree in that room? No. No. Our, the theological disparity in that room is pretty extreme. If we sat down there and tried to talk about everything we disagreed on, we would all run away screaming. 
We're in that room because we have something in common. Do you want to believe that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior? Yes. Is he your king? Yes. Do you want to worship him and pray to him? Yes. Do you want people to know about him? Yes. Is he the solution to all problems? Yes. We got that in common. So we don't need to spend all of our time focusing on what we don't agree on. We focus that time on what we do agree on. Because of that unity, it has allowed a lot of relationships to develop. Do you know who wrote the foreword to my book that's coming out in September? Ray Johnston. Why? Because he's my friend. You know who wrote an endorsement? Sam Rodriguez. Why? Because he's my friend. You know who we partner with is Krista and Don Proctor of Impact Church. They run City Pastors Fellowship. Why? Because they're our friends. We do partnership and work with John Jackson of William Jessup University. You all know our heavy partnership with The Rock. Do you realize I do leadership training with Banning Leapshire of Jesus Culture? Do you realize that it's Project Church, it's Disciples Church, it's that I became friends and developing a good friendship with Tony Sadler of Shiloh Baptist Church, that it's the Porter Brothers of Genesis Church that came and spoke here, that have become friends and partners in ministry? Do you realize that we're not the only ones doing it? That Ray Johnston, do you realize that for months and months, he wasn't even at Bayside in Granite Bay. He was down south helping out another church that was struggling. Do you realize the whole thing about adventure? Everybody's like, oh, did Bayside really need another Bayside? (laughs) Right? Isn't that what everyone was asking? (laughs) Oh, they gobbled up another one. (laughs) You know what happened there? I'll tell you exactly what happened because Ray called me on the phone. That's why. I'll tell you exactly what happened. We got talking on the phone and I said, Ray, what's going on with adventure? And he goes, Lance, I don't want another headache. I don't want to take another project on. But Lance, if adventure goes down, it's a hurt to the kingdom of God. And I can't watch that happen while I'm in charge. He said, the last thing we need is more to do, but we don't believe it would be responsible to not respond. They reached out to us and they asked us, will you help us out? I don't know where it's going to go, to be honest with you. I don't know if any of it's going to work. All I know is that if a member of the kingdom of God is struggling and I can do something, I'm going to do something. That's what happened. And here's the other funny thing. Here's the stuff you'll never hear about. There is a little church. It's a four square church on Hazel called the Life Center. I don't know if you knew this, but Ray Johnson's not four square, right? He's covenant. Yeah. Do you understand that they are always under his eye? Whenever he's on break, he goes to that church. Why? He always watches out and makes sure they're okay. He invests into their leadership. He loves on him, cares for him. Nobody ever has any idea. Why? Because it's not for show. It's because he loves them and they're his friends. Y'all, this stuff goes on. I mean, I can sit there and list all the different people that we're in partnership with. I got a whole long list, right? We're doing this movement with this. We're reaching out to this member of the community with these guys. We're doing this with this. It's all over the place. And none of it was easy. Let me tell you again. Every significant hurt 
in my life has been because of Christian partnerships. But I can do nothing else because it's the way God designed it. I know, I know. But think about marriage. There is a blessing and an honor into pressing through and making a relationship work. Is it easy? No. Do you want to bail sometimes? Yes. Should you? No. Why? Because God honors unity, especially when it's difficult. There was a bunch. I don't know if you've ever met a lot of senior pastors. Some of us are incredibly neurotic. Some of us are incredibly egocentric. Some of us are incredibly scared of everybody else and insecure. Get them all. It's like trying to run an NBA team, right? It's you're getting all of them in the same room and they all have an agenda and everybody's talking over each other and they can't figure it out. They don't get along well with others. And God said, I want you guys to partner. Well, Lord, I don't, uh, they're, they're charismatic and we're conservative. I want you to get together. Well, you know what? They're, they're, uh, Hispanic and, and we're Caucasian. I want you to get together. Well, well, you know, they're from a totally different area of the city. I didn't tell you it was easy. I said, you, it's necessary. Because nothing, nothing as big as the vision God has for this region will be accomplished by one church. And if the world keeps seeing us divided, they never want to be a part of any of it. Right? Amen. By the way, funny side note, um, when I went to go get fireworks this year, I went over to the one by the Galleria run by the family church. Why? Because Matt is my friend and he got me an awesome deal. All right, moving on. Okay, good. (laughs) Uh, You guys, the, the amount of partnerships and friendships that are going on in this city, they're all tenuous. They're ready to break at any moment. Why? Because there's a million reasons to divide. I'm going to ask you as a family, please go counterculture and resist the division of our nation. I was just reflecting this morning on the fact that our name is the United States of America. Sure feels like the divided States of America. I mean, it's, we'll argue about everything, right? And we spend all of our time in fear trying to build a wall to protect ourselves from somebody else that's going to screw it up. But if you live your whole life about what you're against, you're going to go nowhere. I think we need to be healing and building bridges, not building walls. You all understand what I'm talking about? All right, let's keep moving forward. Verse 15. He said, before we got going... I gathered all of my crew. I gathered them to the river that runs to Ahava. And there we camped for three days to organize for our journey. And as I reviewed the people and the priests, I found that there was no sons of Levi. Oh, hold on. Your whole point was to bring in Levi reinforcements. You can't go if you don't have any Levites. Remember, you always have to have the fiery people. You always got to have the hardcore people. Are they a drag sometimes to be around? Yep. Do they cause a lot of problems? Yep. Do you need them? Yep. 
Verse 16, so I sent for nine of my leading men in my group, for two more of my men who were men of insight, and I sent them back over to a place nearby to get us some Levites and temple helpers for the house of God. Verse 18, and by the good hand of our God on us, they got him. They brought us a man of discretion and 37 other Levites besides 220 temple servants. People are a mess, but they're also glorious. Relationships are hard. They're just necessary. It's a season of our lives that Susie and I were, were looking around and there was a lot of stuff that was difficult in our lives. And we're trying to figure out about friendships and we're looking around and have you ever tried to go find a best friend? Go find a best friend. I dare you try it. It's terrible. <laughs> Why? Because too high expectations. Nobody will ever match up to whatever you have in your head. And we determined as a couple back in that time, you know what we need? We just need good life-giving people around us. Now, some of those become best friends. But you can't start out that way. It's too heavy. So if you're going around, you're looking to only partner with people that are going to be your best friend, that have everything in common with you, you're never going to partner with anybody. Who of your friends do you agree about everything with? None. And so what I'm not, what I'm not suggesting is that we throw out holiness. I'm not suggesting we throw out boundaries. What I'm saying is we fight for unity. Now, I would just say this. I'm not also saying that we should be doormats. I'm not saying that we should just let people walk all over and for the sake of singing kumbaya, not talk about difficult things. You know how I refer to myself and I will refer to Bridgeway? We are agitating peacemakers. <laughs> agitating peacemakers. You go, well, that sounds pretty brutal. Like you always got to stir the pot. Or we could think of us as comforters on the bed. Why? Because you got to, Ruffle it up to let it settle back down gently. Y'all understand what I'm talking about? So what I'm trying to say is I believe in having difficult conversation to ruffle it up so that we might settle into the shalom of God. So am I willing to talk through difficult things? Yes. Am I willing to leave division? I cannot. We must fight to be unified. Even if we don't play well with others, we got to learn how. Yeah. Can I have the prayer team come on up here? One of the things I got an email this last week from a friend of mine here at the church. And she said, she said, uh, pastor last weekend sermon, you talked about how we as a church, if we're going to see the move of God and the blessing of God, that we need to pray more, that we need to become more passionate about seeking God. So you as our leader, what are you going to do about that? Fair question. One of the things that is going to stop the blessing of God in our church is the divisions in our lives. The bad relationships, the broken partnerships. It's going to ruin 
what God has for us. And so we need to repent, forgive, and open up and release. And I can guarantee you almost none of us want to do that. So that's why we're going to pray about it. I'm going to pray that we would have the right hearts so that God can move wherever he wants, however he wants. I'm going to pray that this prayer team up here would be anointed to finish the job. That when your heart gets stirred in prayer, right after I say amen, you'll come forward and allow God to do the final work to begin to mend your heart. Because a lot of us in this room have significant walls. Sometimes it's against a people group. Sometimes it's against a political group. Sometimes it's against a denomination. Sometimes it's against an individual sitting down the row from you. Sometimes it is in your own marriage and in your own household. You will never have the full blessing of God while those walls remain. May we be people that release. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, this is your house. What we have tried to do is have a family meeting talking about giving you more room. And God, there are some of us that because of fear right now, our spirit has risen up and blocked the door. We're afraid, Lord, they're going to ruin it. We're afraid that they're going to walk all over us. We're afraid that they're not going to learn from it. We're afraid of all the reasons why we built the wall in the first place. But at the same time in this environment where we have heard about you as our great God, we are choosing to trust you to straighten it out. You're the one that decides what is right and good. You're the one that protects our reputation. You protect our lives. You protect our ministry. You protect our church. Therefore, Father, we refuse to be the ones that just defend. And we choose to be the ones that reach out. Father, there are some of us that have been hurt so deeply we cannot imagine setting that person free. I ask that you would do a deep work in us. That you would allow us to hand it over to you that we might be free. Father, I pray that you would anoint this prayer team that at their prayers, for all of us who are struggling and wrestling, we know because you've been tugging at our heart to heal over and over and over again. Because of that call, we will go forward. I pray that this team right here is supernaturally anointed, that as they begin to pray breakthrough, as they begin to pray covering, as they begin to pray healing of breaches, as they begin to pray all the yuck off of us, that God, that it would become here on earth as it is in heaven. So Lord, minister to us and mold us and change us into men and women that hear you. Men and women that receive you. Men and women that fight for unity and appreciate diversity. Men and women that want to be just like you. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.